Hello and welcome to a special episode of COPD Wellness. Today's episode is being released on COPD Day. Today, Wednesday the 21st of November. In this episode, Russell chats to two very passionate COPD patient advocates. John is a COPD patient diagnosed in 2005. His career was a retail district manager and troubleshooter and then a marketing director. He left the workforce in 2011 after engaging in a web-based video project and being asked to share his story at a pharmaceutical conference. John decided his efforts would be well spent doing advocacy work for the COPD community. John is a captain for the COPD Foundation for the state of Minnesota. Meredith Laws is 60 years old and was diagnosed with mild chronic obstructive pulmonary disease in 2015. As a teenager, Meredith suffered from bronchitis and asthma and suspected she had lung issues and her breathing was very slowly deteriorating. However, like many people with a lung condition, she initially put it down to just getting older. So Meredith didn't get checked out early enough. She's smoked since her early 20s and successfully gave up in November 2014. Meredith is a tireless volunteer for Lung Foundation Australia and an advocate for positive lifestyle changes to help manage COPD. Welcome to the COPD Wellness Podcast. Today we have a special episode with some special guests, some fellow patients from the United States and Australia, and we're going to discuss World COPD Day, which was on the 21st of November, and what it means to us all. So I'd like to welcome Meredith and John from... John, you're in Chicago or around that area? Oh, I'm... Chicago's the nearest large city to me. I'm actually near La Crosse, Wisconsin, near the Mississippi River. So I'm in the Midwest part of the United States. Okay. Okay, Meredith, of course, you're from sunny Brisbane here in Australia. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the reason why I wanted to get both of you on today is uh, you're both patient advocates and, and do a lot of good work within the respiratory and COPD community. So... I thought go to the experts when we're talking about World COPD Day. <laughs> yep. so I'll go to you first, Meredith. Can yeah. you give me a bit of background about your disease when you were diagnosed and what you mm-hmm. do now? Okay, yeah, sure. I was diagnosed in February 2015, and we all seem to remember when we were diagnosed, don't we? I, yeah, I was had the flu and after many chest infections, decided to send me to a respiratory specialist, which and they diagnosed me. So that would seem forever ago. Only, but, yeah, it's not that long ago, really. And now I do work, I volunteer in the Lung Foundation Australia, and I love it. And I can get my hands close to where the action is, so to speak. I hear a lot of what's happening in the world with COPD, more so in the patient advocate group here. I think it's imperative that we get the word out and we let people know that how prevalent it is and what, that it's not like an end-life type of disease. I mean, there's still a lot you can do with COPD. And so when, when you were diagnosed, uh, were you diagnosed yeah. using, like, spirometry testing? Yeah, yeah. absolutely, yeah, spirometry with actually it was my previous specialist i've actually changed specialists since then so but yeah i think that's the only sure way to diagnose Mm. with spirometry anyway so yeah and john how about yourself when when were you diagnosed and and your disease and and what do you do now well i had uh at the time i was diagnosed i was living in phoenix arizona 
which is a, a desert, you know, dry air metropolitan, you know, urban area. Mm-hmm. And I was diagnosed in late 2005. And uh, by the time 2011 rolled around, it had progressed to the point I had to quit working and, and go on what they call here in, this, in the United States uh, social security disability because I was just unable to, to work. And, uh, you know, part of my story is how I went through that entire process because, you know, for Americans, there's a, uh, uh, there's a five-month mandatory waiting period and you, then you don't get uh, your medical insurance, Medicare, for two years following that. So it, it, it's, it's quite a journey, and I had to figure everything out on my own. And part of what I do is I, I help other people on, on social media navigate the system and, and figure out how they're supposed to survive, how they're supposed to get the benefits that they're entitled to, and how they're supposed to get uh, medicine, treatments, Etc. Etc. Because I why why reinvent the wheel as mm. they say if, if I can say look here's what you do and here's what the law says and here's what they're going to look at it, it makes it a lot easier so not everyone has to jump through hoops that are unnecessary and now I live in uh, the Midwest in a uh, rural area the town I live in now is four thousand people and there's a great difference between the care one receives in a metropolitan area and in a rural area. And even though I've never been to Australia, I, I would guess that it's probably pretty much the same there because if it's a small rural area, they're not as apt to be able to afford the specialists and the pulmonologists and have the pulmonary rehabilitation centers and things like that. So. I also am a big advocate for what I call remote medicine, whether it be pulmonary rehabilitation online or whether it be spirometers, pulse oximeters that work with your Bluetooth on your cell phone so your doctor from far away can track what you're doing and you also can keep a record of it. Yeah, that's that's a really good point, John. And, uh, and we have the same issues here in Australia with remote, yeah. you know, our pulmonary rehab, our doctors, our, our major medical centres are yeah. concentrated around capital cities. So when yeah. you get out in the rural areas, there's not the support there. And, you know, the, the point you make about um, being able to monitor remotely is very important for those people. And I guess nowadays there's, there's so many devices on the market available that can do that can send information to our doctors and without a doubt i think that is the the way of the future absolutely the problem though with that often is the costing a lot of people out rurally can't really afford that sort of thing unfortunately so that's something governments have to look at everywhere i think to make it affordable for everyone to be able to access all those all that sort of um help whichever way they can. Yeah, look, and you're right, you're right, Meredith. I think as, as patient advocates, one of our jobs that we have to do, and it's a hard one, is to make governments realise that if they invest money into patients, they'll save money in the long yeah, run. Yeah, absolutely. You know, being able to get patients into pulmonary rehab and get them into better care, 
early diagnosis will mean better outcomes for patients, which means less hospital readmissions. So mm. it actually takes yeah. um, the burden off off the hospital systems, which is yeah. is what, what everyone wants. Yeah, absolutely. So we have next uh, next Wednesday, the twenty first. We have World <coughs> Excuse Me COPD Day, John. What's World COPD Day mean for you? I think what that day means to me is it's it, it's obviously a day of recognition. It, it one day, but we should be doing the things we do every day of the year. And I, to, but to me, that specific day means that's a day to reach out to let people know that they themselves have great control over their COPD. Mm-hmm. They themselves can make a big difference. Medicine only goes so far. So COPD day is kind of like, to, to me, it's, it's like New Year's because it's the new year for COPD patients. Mm-hmm. And it's the day that we make the resolutions for ourselves. This year, I'm going to exercise more than I did last year. Or, or this year, I'm going to eat the foods I should eat. Or, or this year, I'm going to make sure that I stay on my medications as I'm supposed to. Or, you know, whatever it means for that specific mm. person. But it it's our new year. Mm, definitely. I mean, all of November is, is COPD month. And World COPD Day is our new year. And it's up to us to take control. Mm. And... I, I would say to actually speak to your doctor because I, a, a phrase I use when I, when I give talks is we need to be partners in care with our doctors. Mm-hmm. Let them know. Because so often I hear on, on social media, well, my doctor doesn't listen to me. Well, I respond, well, what have you asked your doctor? Well, nothing. <laughs> yeah. So. It, 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 it goes both ways. Yeah. So to be a partner in care, you need to say to your doctor, Doc, I know there's a lot I can do to help my COPD. I want to and actually use the phrase, I want to be a partner in my care. Talk to me. Tell me what I can do. Let's work together. And we may not beat this thing. You know, I'll, I'll die. My, my other buzz phrase you know, I'm going to die with COPD, but I don't have to die from it. So and that's so important for patients to remember. Absolutely. You nailed it there, John. I think um, <laughs> I, I think uh, for, for many Nothing patients, what you've just uh, summed up is exactly it. And Meredith, yeah, for yourself, yeah. uh, can you add to that? Is there anything else World COPD <laughs> means for you? I don't know if I can. <laughs> oh, did I steal I, your thunder? I'm sorry, I Meredith. think you might have, but that's all right, John. Well, it's not only I totally agree with everything you've just said, but I also think it's making others aware of COPD. It's a really understated disease. We all know about lung cancer or diabetes or whatever, but COPD... Really, people say, well, what's that? If they, you say emphysema, they'll go, oh, okay. So I think it's also education, educating the public as well as educating yourselves. And you do have to. I mean, a lot of people you talk to, especially on social media, haven't got a clue, for example, what their FEV1 is. And I find that quite astounding. But, you know, it's education right across the board. 
and to try and remove the stigma of smoking and COPD is still a really important thing to me. So other than that, what John said. <laughs> yeah, and look, they're good points too, Meredith. And that whole stigma argument is, is the one, you know, we obviously oh. battle with. And, mm. you, know, we've, you know, I've talked about before how I've had people from the general public say to me when talking about my disease, well, you're a smoker, you deserve it. You know, my, my comeback to them is always, well, does that mean that anyone who makes poor lifestyle choices deserves a chronic disease? You know? yeah, yeah. And when they think about it like that, they sort of think, okay, that's fair yeah. enough. But that's, you know, the yeah. message we have to get out. I mean, get over it. Yes, yes we did smoke. Yeah. You know, get over that it. Was, that's not going to yeah. It's anything. interesting that you bring up the smoking because mm. I, I was asked once, and it was a large gathering too, I was on a panel, and someone from the audience said, and they were sincere, they said, do you feel guilty that you were a smoker? And I did happen to be a smoker. I think we okay. do need to remember that 20 to 25 percent of people with COPD never smoke. That's right. But I, I was a smoker. And I said, that, that's, that's a very good question. Do I feel guilty that I was a smoker? And I say, no, I, I don't feel guilty at all. Because I, I, I probably, whether I knew better or didn't know better, isn't the point. The mm. point is, I was a smoker and I did get COPD, mm. and feeling guilty about it isn't changing the outcome. No, does feeling guilty or not feeling guilty make me any mm. sicker? Or mm. does it make me any better? No. Mm. What if I had to do it all over again? Would I have smoked? No, of course not. Right. But. To, to even imply that someone should feel guilt mm -hmm. something they did that they can't change it doesn't make a difference so the, the, mm -hmm. the trick is if you still smoke stop now yeah. but you used to smoke well you used to smoke nothing's yeah. going to change it so feeling guilty is just going to drag you down and make you feel miserable so there's no yeah. point so no I don't feel guilty at all no. am I sorry I, I smoke sure I'm sorry Guilt? Nah. No, it's well, not worth it. It's, it's interesting that one of the big e epidemics around the world at the moment is type 2 diabetes. And type 2 yep. diabetes is predominantly caused by poor diet. So, mm. you know, are those people, do they deserve type 2 diabetes because they've eaten a poor diet? No, they don't. Mm. You know, yeah. no, no one deserves a disease. It's no. unfortunately. We all make poor lifestyle choices along the way, and that probably what's make, makes us who we are today, is uh, realizing those the, decisions and, and growing from them. The, the time that we probably, well, that I would have started smoking, there wasn't the education about smoking then. You know, it wasn't a bad thing, and I know people who were told to start smoking to, for their nerves by doctors. So I think that. It's just not a, it's obviously not about smoking, but we've got to just get that out of everyone's mind full yeah. stop, I think. Yeah, exactly, exactly right. And I think, yeah. I think the more we can knock down these walls of, um, these stigma walls, the more we're going to see COPD progress as far as research dollars about awareness mm. is, is people getting over the stigma. I mean, yeah. uh, it doesn't. It doesn't change the type, type of people we are just because we've got a certain yeah. disease. We're still who we are, mm. and, and that's yeah. what counts. My next question I have for you, which for you both will be an interesting one. John, I'll go back to you. What message would you have 
for your fellow patients. And I mean patients who have been diagnosed for a long time and newly diagnosed patients. What message would you have for them? I'll probably expound upon what I was saying earlier about, you know, you have a lot to do with your own COPD. It's like my COPD, it's my, it's my COPD. Mm-hmm. So I choose to own it. Uh, er, earlier, Meredith was saying that uh, a lot of people don't know their FEV1. Well, it, it's true that you shouldn't get hung up in the numbers and dwell on them, but you probably should know where you stand and understand that it is a progressive disease but there's a lot that you can do yourself to slow it down or to even improve your numbers. For example, someone that, that exercises rarely, that, that's probably deconditioned, if, if they start exercising some, that they'll find that their FE1 could improve greatly. I mean, I've known people that have, and this isn't normal, but people have actually come off of using supplemental oxygen. And they'll probably eventually go back on it because it is a progressive disease. I'm not trying to sugarcoat anything. Mm. But you you can do things yourself to improve the the current condition. You're not going to reverse the COPD. You're not going to rebuild your lungs necessarily. But through toning your muscles, they'll use less oxygen. Let me tell just a real quick story. Uh, it's not a story, an analogy. And it's the one I use when I tell people that they need to, to get up and start moving. Mm-hmm. Your muscles use oxygen as fuel, just like a car uses gasoline. If a car is out of tune, it's going to need a lot more gas to go that mile. If, if you are deconditioned, your muscles are in horrible shape, you're going to use a lot more oxygen to walk across the room to go to the bathroom. Mm. So when a COPD patient says, oh my God, I can't even walk across the room to go to the bathroom, they're most likely out of tune. Mm. And if they exercise, their muscles become stronger and more conditioned and will require less fuel to do the same task. So I, I think it's a perfect analogy that an out-of-tune car is like a deconditioned body. You tune the car up, you tune the body up, the car will need less gas and perform better, and your body will do better as well just walking across the room. Mm-hmm. If I don't know if I directly answered your question, but it was a great chance to get that in. And I, I think, because that was my aha moment when I realized, mm-hmm. oh, there really is a correlation between that. Does that make sense? That makes so much sense, John. And I think I think anyone who's participated in a pulmonary rehab or do regular exercise with COPD understand what you're saying and would be nodding yeah. their head saying, "Yeah, that's exactly right." Yeah. You know, it's, it's what happened in my case, your case. Meredith, have you got something to add to that? Um, I think the main things I would add to it is to make sure you have a very proactive general practitioner and a pulmonary specialist. I think that's really important that you have someone who's prepared to play around with things just to, and to tone it right for you rather than, 
oh, yeah, you've got COPD, this is what everyone has, you know. I think you've got to have proactive um, specialists. And if you don't, keep changing them till you find the one that suits you. Because, you know, a lot of us stick to one doctor for years and years and years and we don't actually get... It's the same. I can remember my first specialist put me on one um, inhaler and that was like of 18 months and that's about all I did, whereas my new newer one, he's just amazing. He's so proactive and you think, oh, why didn't I get him in the beginning? But I have a proactive general practitioner who actually asked, told me, suggested to me to change. So I'm very lucky and that's important for people to know they can do that. So, uh, But uh, other than that, what John said, he's too good for me. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And I think I think if I was going to add anything to that is when you go and visit your pulmonary specialist is to have a list every time you mm. go there. Make sure you've got some questions. Get your value for money out of your visit. Anything you need to know, that's the time to ask them. I think that's, that's pretty important. I just want to touch on something else, and I think it's important too, and it's going back to when you were first diagnosed. And those, those first days after you were diagnosed, John, how did you feel? I, you know, I, I've heard the stories from everyone that, oh, my God, I quit smoking immediately. Oh, my goodness, it was just heartbreaking. I thought it was the end of my life. Well, for me, I thought, okay, well, I have COPD. I guess I'm going to get an inhaler and life goes on. And I didn't, that wasn't my aha moment. I, I, I can, myself, I continued to smoke for six years. And I think you'll find that that's probably, it's a horrible thing to say on a podcast because there'll probably be a lot of newbies listening that'll think, oh, that I can keep smoking for six years. And please don't, please don't. But uh, I, I don't think it's the norm to immediately say, oh, my God, I've got COPD. I'm going to die. I've got to quit smoking. My life is over. And, you know, for, for me, I thought, OK, well, I guess I better think about stop smoking. I better take this inhaler. And I guess I got to come back and see this dude in three months and we'll see how things go. So for me, it was par for the course. I, I didn't have the aha moment for several years until I realized that, oh my goodness, it is up to me and I need to make those choices mm -hmm. and they better be good because it is my life and mm -hmm. it will be ending a lot sooner if I don't make some positive changes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that, that's a really good point. And you're right, you know, people who are newly diagnosed who are listening or watching this podcast, I guess that time you gave up smoking and then what happened after that, how much better you felt from giving up smoking. And I think that's, that's the big thing. If you're newly diagnosed, the first and the best thing you can do if you're still smoking is to give it up because your health will improve pretty much right away. Yeah. And it's, it's easy... You, you can find it easily online, too, by Googling uh, the effects to your body when you quit smoking. And I think, I think your, your blood pressure and heart rate goes down within 20 minutes. And then it, the, the list goes on and on. There's some really cool diagrams. And, and, and some of them 10 years. And but your, but and the effects are immediate. The effects, some of the effects are immediate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was going to say, and, and your bank balance goes up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
Absolutely. <laughs> See, I, I gave up smoking about three months before I was diagnosed, but I think for most people, they know something's wrong. So when I was diagnosed, it wasn't a shock like John. I just, you know, oh, well, this is the reason why I'm so short of breath, you know, at doing certain things. So in a way, I was relieved to have a name for it. because mm. I And I, I've had asthma for many, many years, so... I thought my asthma was getting worse, and I da So, I think yes, it's important to smoke, stop smoking. But I understand how hard it is for people to stop smoking, especially for those who have smoked for years, because it's an addiction. Um, and I mean, I was a heavy smoker for forty years, so it is very hard. But certainly, it's you know you've got to do it for your own health. It's it probably sounds weird to say that now, but. If you, as John said, if you want to prolong your life that much further, try and give up smoking. That's the best you can do for yourself, I think, is give up and then you worry about the other stuff. And Meredith and John, that, that's, it's good to hear you, you both say all that because I guess that's the positive messages we, we get out of all this is we've all mm. been through similar circumstances with our diagnosis mm. and how we got there, but we've all come out the other side living... Yeah. Uh, very productive lives and none of us are letting our disease control our lives and John what you said said before is so true that um, we may die with COPD but we don't have to die of COPD and I think that's a very important uh, message to get across to patients it's it's all about lifestyle choices and doing the right things we're coming to the end of this podcast now and I want to do a couple of things I want to ask you both for your final opinions and also giving you preparation John to come up with one of your masterful jokes so so Meredith I'm going to go to you first is there anything you you would like to add as far as a message not only to patients but to general public to doctors to anyone in the healthcare system managing respiratory disease I think for me, one of the biggest things is that remember that everyone's an individual. We don't all have the same medication. We don't all have the same thought about COPD. There are some people who would rather pretend it's not there. And for doctors, I think they've just got to realise that it's like any other long-term disease. It's got to be treated. A lot of doctors, general practitioners particularly, seem quite worried about it and won't diagnose it early enough and that's a problem my last thing is if you are short of breath um which is unusual particularly for your age go and get it checked out the earlier you're diagnosed with anything the better your treatment and the better you'll feel a lot quicker Mm. so and long term i think that's about it for me i'm waiting for this joke from john well, I'm sure he's got one, but, but John, firstly, is there anything you'd like to add? Yeah, I, I, I would. Uh, another thing that when I give speeches or lectures, I always say that, you know, it, it is your COPD and you do have a lot of control with it, as I've been saying during the entire podcast. But, you know, a lot of times we hear the term end stage. And I think it's very important for everyone to understand that end stage doesn't mean it's the end of your life it's not like cancer where end stage means you're terminal or you know whatever i'm not an oncologist so i don't know what it means for that Mm -hmm. but end stage 
simply means that we've reached the end of what current modern medicine can do. The doctors have reached the end of what they can do. So we pick it up. We exercise more. We eat right. We do what we're supposed to do. And we live our lives because having COPD isn't the end of your life. It's it's just a different chapter. And it's your book, which means you get to choose how the story goes. It's your chapter. It's your life. And, and, and live it. You know, you may not do things the same way you did. You may do them slower, but you can still do things and you can still have a wonderful, rewarding, productive life and live it. Don't, don't, I, 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 I don't have a lot of time for these woe is me people because there's too much to do and you're writing your own book. And the other day, when I was wondering what to write in my book, I walked into a bar. A grasshopper walked in behind me, and he hopped up on the bar next to me on the stool. And the grasshopper said to the bartender, give me a gin and tonic. And the bartender said, well, why, why certainly, but did you know that we have a drink named after you? <laughs> and the grasshopper said, you got a drink named Irving? <laughs> it had to happen didn't it dad joke number one well with that I would like to thank you both very much for your time today it's been a really good chat I've learnt a lot as I always try and do when I do these podcasts and I think patients are one of the best ways we can learn is asking each other questions so to both you I thank you so much for this today thank you for having me Thanks for having us. You're absolutely right. Patience, listen to patience. This episode is proudly brought to you by Philip Sleep and Respiratory Wellness. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.